Hey everybody, it's Richard Harris and Scott Lease with another exciting episode of the Surf and Sales Podcast. Once again, brought to you by our friends over at Gong, over at um, Lead 411 to give you direct dial phone numbers, our new friends at Findem who can help you identify what an A player means for you and exactly who they are even when they're in a passive job search from a recruiting perspective. And then also our friends at Perception Predict, which helps you identify exactly how much your reps are going to produce uh, in terms of hitting their goal or missing it and by how much. So thanks to all of our sponsors. And I want to in, uh, introduce Joe Beth Hanek or Hanek, depending on which side of the family she's with, right? Um, Thanksgiving yes. is fun. Uh, if that's the biggest debate you have with your family, then I think you're better than most of us right now. <laughs> Oh, it's definitely the smallest debate for sure. Um, but it's funny. I used to say Hannock actually. And then uh, a few months ago, I wanted to get back to my Texan roots. And so I uh, decided to switch over to saying Hanick. So I switched sides. So Joe Beth's in Austin, Texas. Uh, she's a BDR exilient. Um, but equally important, if not a little bit more, is that she is a co-founder of Sassy Women in Sales, which I know we're going to talk about because um, it's certainly an underserved community. Uh, in terms of sales and career development. But Joe Beth, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, so just from a context perspective, right? Um, how did you even get into sales? Because I know you have a, a slightly different background than a lot of people, although there ever never is really one background for sales. But how did you even get into it? For sure. So back whenever I was in college, I was working for an acrobatic yoga company. And part of my job for that was to talk to people about signing up for their classes. And I realized that I just really enjoyed talking to people, you know, much more than I enjoyed like all the other work I was doing for that business. And uh, whenever that job ended, I wanted to get into sales. And so I, <laughs> I hit up my gym because I was really into fitness at the time and asked if they, you know, had any positions open. And they said, well, you could sell gym memberships for us. So, and, and if anyone, if, if you've known anyone who sold gym memberships, you know, it's an absolute grind. <laughs> um, it's, it's not, um, it's, it's, it's definitely interesting, but uh, that was my first go at, you know, talking to people for a living and I absolutely loved it. Um, you know, I had worked an internship like another summer where um, I was in front of a computer typing stuff all the time. And, you know, I, that job that was like 20 hours a week, you know, on top of my other work, of course, it felt like 80 hours. <laughs> and, you know, whenever I, you know, started selling gym memberships and just talking to people, I realized I was like, well, I'm, I'm good at this. And they ended up moving me into personal training and paying, paying for my certification and everything. And I just really took off. I um, you know, I was number one at my gym my first year. Um, and, and that was while in school too. And so it was um, definitely, I learned that I just had a knack for it. It was, it was just like taking, I don't want to use the phrase fish to water. That's so, so lame, what do you, but yeah. And it, you know, I, I'm sure Go there ahead. are definitions to it, but what, how hard is it to sell a gym membership? Oh, um, you, so hard. And maybe a better question is what are you really focusing on when you're selling a gym membership? Oh, I haven't thought about it in so long, but um, definitely like trying to dig into someone's goals, you know, what they're looking for. Uh, most people are kind of searching around between gyms, you know, so maybe they have their heart set on another one. Um, you'd have a lot of people who just kind of wanted like a, the, th the free three-day pass, because that's kind of what we would do, like to sell the gym membership, you'd have the three-day pass. And then from there, you'd be like, let's join, please. Um, and so it was definitely 
you would get some people who, you know, it just took a little bit of nudge, you know, it was just talking to them about their goals, why they wanted to join. Um, yeah, pretty much that. So, so basically it's a decently qualified inbound lead and you're having to talk to them about their goals. Their goals and, you know, making them feel comfortable in the gym. You know, that was one of the things that I was pretty good at because uh, I didn't have a traditional fitness background either. You know, I didn't play sports, like the, quite the opposite. I was like an art nerd, you know, who would like, I didn't even go to lunch in the cafeteria. I'd be like hiding in the closet in the art room, like making art, you know? And so like, that was my background. So I, I would, I connected really well with the people who are coming in who, you know, maybe were in their twenties or in their thirties, you know, wanting to work out for the first time. And, you know, I could really make them feel comfortable and like they could join 24 hour fitness. So so you and you went from gym membership sales like right into the frying pan of high velocity transactional sales as an salesperson well, at, at signpost right yes i worked at signpost and actually i i only stole gym memberships for about nine months and then from there i went into personal training for almost two years mm -hmm. So from personal training, then I, and, and what happened, honestly, and I'm pretty open about this was I had an eating disorder, you know, it was a huge part of, you know, my career as a personal trainer was, you know, I was a very, I was very sick, you know, I, I had like a, a form of anorexia called orthorexia, where I was obsessed with health and fitness. And so whenever I finally got help for that, you know, I kind of found that like, I was no longer in like a really healthy environment and I needed out like pretty quickly. And I needed a new career. And I just happened to have some friends who, you know, they worked in this field and, you know, one of them had worked at signpost and kind of gave me um, a referral and got me, got me to help me get the job. Yeah. I mean, that's, that was end to end sales, right? What does that mean? Like full cycle. Full cycle. Yeah. I, yeah. I started off just, you know, they'd put us on the phones the first week. Kind yeah. Of thing. What I, what I like, so much about your sales career is, is um, you did some of the hardest types of sales right from the beginning, you know, and kind of went through a Navy SEALs boot camp, if you will. Right? That's exactly, that's exactly how I've seen it, you know, going through full cycle, um, you know, short sales cycle, um, you know, just high energy sales environment. It was definitely a boot camp to say the least. Yeah. Now yeah. I, I want to touch on, what you talked about in terms of you know your health and both physical as well as mental health what are the things that um you are doing to protect your mental and physical health as a salesperson right now as a business owner right now going through super stressful times I mean, we're all kind of doing this but i think those of us who've had significant health problems mental or physical before are impacted and affected a little bit differently and and so i wondered if you can talk to people out there who um maybe have been going through something similar uh and what advice you have for them and what things you're have your own guardrails up for right now Sure. And in, in addition to having to recover from an eating disorder, I've also been sober for about four and a half years. So I kind of got hit with, you know, the eating disorder, the addiction, and then also, you know, just the mental health stuff in general. And, you know, especially for me, I mean, what ended up happening was I got into the industry and I did really well at first. You know, I had, I was like 
doing super well. And, and then, you know, it came to one point whenever I wasn't. And for me, that happened in February of, I guess that was 2019. And for me, like it was, I have like, I was perfectionist, you know, I was used to being number one at my gym and then coming into this company and being, you know, one of the top reps and having, you know, a great reputation for being really consistent. And then in February, I had a zero month. And it was one of those things where it just wrecked me (laughs) as a human being. And, you know, it was a a big, like, I, I talked to my friend who was a counselor, she was in school for counseling. And I was talking to her about how, like, you know, I'm staying late and I'm working so hard and I just can't seem to make it work. And, you know, she told me and she called me out and she was just like, you're talking about, you know, yourself and your career, but you're, you're, you're making it seem like that's all there is to you. You know, that, that you're taking all these statements about you and your career life and you're making it about yourself. And, you know, she really pointed out to me, and that was pretty much like a game changing moment for me uh, with my mental health and sales was that, you know, I have like, this is just my career, you know, it's a very small part of my life, because it had become like so much of my identity, you know, like many things. Um, And so for me, I had to, you know, start leaving at five, you know, I like started signing up for spin classes at 530. So I had to leave at five, and started to have other things going on in my life that I could Uh, lean on. And, you know, I've gone through some like harder times in sales since then. And it's been so much easier than it was that time because I know that like, I am also an artist and I also have friends and, you know, I have, you know, things going on in my life besides just work. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that was a little bit of a struggle even coming into quarantine was that all of a sudden, like a lot of those other things were gone. And for me, you know, adjusting to quarantine, um, my first week, I was like, dude, this is great. I'm doing so well. I'm working great from home. <laughs> and, you know, then I had a week of just deep depression, you know, where it was like, oh my gosh, it was just paralyzing. And, you know, what I ended up having to do was my boss was like, take a half day, cook some food, clean up your apartment, you know, get a work to like from home place going. And, you know, ever since, and that helped, you know, I got, I got out of it, you know, but I've, I've since had to like, I've gone back into counseling a little bit as of a couple, last couple of weeks. Um, Cause what also ended up happening in quarantine was, um, you know, I got a, a new awesome job and, you know, I got, you know, sassy up and going and then I'm invited on this podcast and, you know, like I started to get a taste for like a new level of success and started experiencing a lot of imposter syndrome. So, I mean, for me, it's just kind of been focusing on, you know, having other things going on in my life besides just my job and finding enjoyment there and taking care of myself and professionals. So many professionals, for sure. I just, I just did an episode on imposter syndrome for myself. I listened to it. Yeah. Oh, um, I hope it was okay. Uh, it was good. She's the one. She's job. the one who listened to it, Richard. <laughs> so, um, but what? It, but it means a lot. Like we hear this word a lot, and we hear it a lot in sales. And I think it goes. It doesn't matter what department or where you are in life. We all feel it at some point. What was your imposter syndrome, or what is your imposter syndrome? Because it's different for me than I think it is for other people. Um, for me, it's a self-esteem issue, which I've struggled with for a long time, and still do. Um, what was it like for you? I got to a point where I was completely convinced that I needed to change everything about myself to be successful. And, you know, it had built up over time. And I started to also just feel really like I just had a lot of new things going on. You know, I was just 
you know, figuring out like how to lead a networking group with my co-founder and figuring out, you know, I switched from SMB sales into enterprise as a BDR role. And so I had like a lot of new things going on and just kind of felt like I was still figuring it out, but just having to just not like, I wasn't giving myself permission to really do that. And I, I got to the point too, where I was like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm 26 years old. And like, I have like three nose rings, not just one. I have three. And I was like, I have tattoos. Like, oh my gosh, I need to just change everything. And, you know, I, I just got to this point where um, I had to just, I just started being really honest with people in my life with where I was at. And, you know, that's been extremely helpful. So what kind of things do you encourage yourself with when you say, you know, I had to give myself permission because I think this is a huge thing and I don't care if it's imposter syndrome or, you know, working through your, your substance situation or your eating situation. Like what kind of things do you have to give yourself permission for? I had to just learn that it's okay to make mistakes. You know, I have such a hard time making mistakes. You know, I, and it's, it's just part of a human, it's part of having a career. Like I do it all the time. You know, I have some funny stories there as I'm sure we all do, but like, you know, how it used to feel like whenever I would make a mistake, and it still feels like this sometimes, it's just that like the world is ending and that this is the end of my career. And it's just, um, you know, I can just get to a point where it's just shattering, you know? Um, yeah. And then how do you dig yourself out? How do you kind of, you know, for me, I have to slap myself on the face. <laughs> a lot of times I'll call Scott. I'll be like, dude, this is how I'm feeling today, which I know is right. not typically manly to do, but I'm happy to admit it. Um, do it. Do it. Yeah. I mean, just giving myself permission to be where I'm at and to not have to be anyone else. You know, I can't come on here and be like, oh yeah, I have like 10 years of experience in this or anything. And just kind of owning that, like I'm new, I'm figuring it out. Asking for help has been really huge. And also just being open with people where, where I'm at, you know, not having to try to put on this facade that I know what I'm doing because um, it's it's just so much easier. Like, I, I think what I got had to learn is just that I, it's okay to be authentic yeah. and that I can be myself. And because I had just been convinced that like, oh, like everything needs to change. <laughs> this is not working. I got, so. I got one more question. Then I want to shift. I want to talk about sassy sales. Sure. I have one more question around this. Mm -hmm. You know, as you get perspective in life, right, as we get older, um, we can start to recognize habits earlier in our life of like, oh, maybe that's where that came from, or maybe that's where that came from. Did you notice anything as you've been going through your own recovery of, of things, or even to your point, the faster we grow and the more successful we get, the more scared we get, right? Like any patterns you've noticed? Definitely some fear, um, some like self-esteem, you know, just a lot of anxiety and, you know, you know, some of it can be you know, like to where I can get really caught up in, in myself and what's going on with me. Um, but I, the biggest thing would probably be the fear. And that's like a huge thing. That's like a part of recovery is like learning how to, you know, handle difficult emotions and to handle going through difficult situations without having to like fall back on past patterns. And so for me, you know, what it's come to is just kind of trusting like, the universe, whatever, and just kind of trusting that things are going to work out fine. Um, because, you know, I, I can get into a place where I'm just completely useless to everybody because I'm wrapped up in my own problems. So that's been a big pattern. I think that's pretty, I like what you said about handling difficult emotions. 
because we tend mm -hmm. to stay away from them, whatever it is, right? Um, and we turn to find something to numb those things, right? Um, yep. So, well, well, thanks for sharing all that and going kind of deep on on those topics. Um, but let's let's talk about sassy women in sales. What is it? Let people know. Yeah, I mean, it's a free networking group. We put on events for for women who are in SaaS sales. Um, it's it's taking off. You know, we're starting to branch out. You know, we have we've spoke at a university. We spoke at UT to one of my old sales professors. Um, but our goal is to be able to provide you know support and resources to women who are in SaaS sales. But we also have a big goal of being able to get more women, more women into this field, and to provide resources there. So what kind of research, like talk about it though, like what kind of, when you have an event, what's an event? And, and granted, I remember this started right, either right before, or right after COVID and there was like, oh, we can go do all these things, right? And then all of a sudden, bam. Uh, it did. That's exactly what happened. We had our first event in February and it was an in-person event. We had a great turnout. And then the next month and the month after we had to cancel our events. And eventually, whenever July came around, uh, we decided to go virtual. Um, so yeah, resources, a lot of it is just community right now. You know, we're working on branching out. Um, we were wanting to do more panels um, to, you know, at a university setting to be able to take women who are in sales in and be like, hey, like this is, this is what we did for UT. You know, we came in and we're like, here's some examples. Here's what it looks like. Here's some connections. Um, to people who are not yet in the field to hopefully inspire them to and to, you know, make sure they kind of can, I mean, for me, like it's been just being visual, you know, being able to be like, we are in this field, it's not all men, and being able to in inspire more. So, so is, is it like a LinkedIn group? Is it a Slack group? What, what is it? How, how are you managing the community? What's the platform? Yeah, we do Zoom events. So we uh, do virtual events once a month, maybe twice a month. And we do everything from like specific networking events. You know, next month we are putting on a like a like a black female panel um, event um, to talk about, you know, like being black and being a woman and being in sales. Um, but we've also done everything from happy hours. Um, a lot of our vision has been to make it really approachable and to make it where you can come in and you can kind of get like a smaller happy hour feel through a virtual event. So we've been utilizing the breakout room. I've actually been able to grow my network a lot through this too, which has been pretty cool because we do the breakout rooms and we, you can actually talk to people in a smaller group setting instead of being talked at for an hour. Richard, you're muted. Standard. <laughs> What, what are the topics that you're bringing? Because I, I do want particularly, one, I want women to know that these are the kinds of conversations. And two, I want men to know that these are the kinds of conversations, right? So that they can educate themselves. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is providing community. Um, I mean, definitely, like, if someone's going through something, like, you know, we all, like, all, all the women in the industry, we all have our stories of horror stories of, like, this guy said this, and I definitely want to, you know, be there to like have those conversations and to help women get out of that. Because honestly, for me, like whenever I had that February zero month, like what kind of sparked that was like, I ran into like a super sexist situation <laughs> mm -hmm. at work. Um, and so definitely, um, you know, like the, we're having conversations around like equality and everything, but also it's been like the happy hours have been pretty chill and just kind of taking some time to like meet some other women at other companies and to grow your network. 
And that's not always done just with talking about work. It's talking about a little bit of everything. I know we had a lot of conversations about like one girl said she liked mariachi music and then we're talking about music and, you know, we, we have a lot of these conversations and, and also just how to grow your career. You know, I'm always talking about like posting more on LinkedIn. You know, I attended y'all's, you know, workshop last November and, you know, that changed my, like how I did my LinkedIn. And so I'm always trying to encourage, you know, women steps they can take for their careers. We have a lot of those conversations as well. And then of course, diversity and, you know, diversity for us doesn't just mean, you know, women, you know, we definitely want to be intersectional in how we talk about diversity and also talk about race and gender identity and sexuality. Yeah. So how do you, uh, you know, without naming names, what do you encourage a woman to do when they do run into that sexist situation at work? Do they speak up? Do they not speak up? And I know it's very situational, right? But I'm trying to um, give some feedback for the listeners who are like, oh my God, I've experienced that. Or, wow, I wonder if I could have said that or whatever other ideas you guys are coming up with. So... Yeah, I think it's super important to speak up. Um, and I did speak up and it was something that I spoke up because I found out that this was a thing. You know, the person who said this was not my manager. We didn't even work in the same office. And, you know, I found out that it was a pattern and that a lot of people had quit because of this, but I was the first one to say anything. So like nothing came from it. And so I always encourage women like to, like whenever it happens at work, you know, I think the best thing to do is, is to you know speak up to to management and to HR and to see if they can do anything about it. Um, and something I'm working on with myself um, is speaking up in the moment because I'm terrible at this. You know, it usually it usually takes a while for things to sink in for me before I realize like, oh, that was not okay, or like to realize that like, oh, I should have said something. You know, because uh, I ran into a situation you know a few weeks ago where I was talking to a guy who's a thought leader in our field who doesn't work at my company, like nothing like that. Um, and he said that I <laughs> uh, sound confident and don't stutter like most women do. And, you know, I just bl- brushed it off in the moment and like moved on. And then I realized later, like, oh, wow, that was not okay. <laughs> you know, um, so what I'm working on and what really good advice was given to me was to kind of ask people to re- repeat themselves or like, what do you mean by that? Um, because then they have to then defend their like super sexist thing that they just said. So um, that was like a really good bit of practical advice that I got recently was to have them repeat themselves or explain it because it's, it's just not going to sound good whenever they have to do that. Not, and not that it's an excuse. Um, but do you think some of that is also conditioned into the male psyche too? Right. And it yeah. it's okay. Like, I don't want to, you know, say that. For sure. Um, like, do you think he was coming from a negative point of view or was he, you know, like, I'm enjoying this conversation and it's nice to talk to someone who knows how to talk? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that um, I, I don't always because I don't know enough about this guy to be able to be like, oh, yeah, he's like a sexist piece of shit. You know, um, it may have just been that that has been his experience. And so he was trying to pay me a compliment. Um, you know, I definitely acknowledge that, you know, a lot of the times it's, it's not the case that they're just like a terrible person. It's just that they have had experiences that, you know, they think that that's an all right thing to say and no one's ever told them otherwise. Um, so I, I definitely think there can be two sides of the coin there, you know, regard, it, it, it's obviously not a great thing to say, but it does maybe see like 
it can kind of seem like, okay, if you have that attitude that like most women stutter or they don't know how to talk confidently, then how is that affecting your hiring process and stuff? Right. And that, that's what I'm getting. That's where I was sort of wondering is that it's, this is what it means to have an intentional bias. Right. And I, I know I've done it. I know I've said something like that. Um, you know, and, and I'm learning and it's awkward. I can't remember who we had on Scott, but the, she was saying, look, there's a lot of these little awkward moments where, you know, women should speak up and men need to be, you know, ready to handle it. Right. And, and I think that's a, it's good. I'm, I'm glad you're recognizing it and hope you're coaching folks to, to speak out in a, in a healthy way. So. How are, how are you balancing life as a founder and a, and a BDR? How do you prioritize very tactically, not like psychologically, tactically, like how do you split your time? Um, I mean, during the day, I'm a BDR and, you know, during lunchtime, like that's typically whenever, because I've learned that if I reach out or post things in the evening, people don't see it. So it just, it just has to be done during the day. So honestly, it's usually over lunch, over breaks, um, you know, so you're, it's, you're fully just like squeezing your side hustle, if you will, into pockets of your your regular lunch day. weekends evenings um you know courtney and i meet every monday at five you know to speak about all this um but yeah it's it's yeah it's a lot <laughs> now you have not been at your your current role more than four or five months now so you you were like a covid layoff and a covid onboard what what was that experience like for you so I actually wasn't laid off. Um, I just kind of ended up switching career or switching companies. Uh, this opportunity fell into my lap and I was like, that sounds great. So, um, but it was very different to, I, I did go into the office on the first day with my direct manager and they gave me the laptop. They kind of gave me a tour of like the empty office. So I had one day working in the office and everything else has been completely remote, uh, which, you know, we sell like a pretty, challenging software really complicated have a very complicated sale and so it's it's been a lot but I mean kind of what I've been doing is to try to meet everyone because I meet everyone on my team I spend time with my team on zoom and everything but um, I've been doing like weekly coffee meetings with like a random person from outside of my team mm -hmm. so trying to meet people and then you went from a full cycle an AE role to a BDR role. That's sort of the opposite direction a lot of people go. So mm -hmm. talk to us about, about that, that transition. What, what is that like? Uh, it was very different. Um, you know, I was SMB too, so I'm, I'm new to enterprise. Um, but definitely, it's, it's so nice to not have that monthly quota. <laughs> um, I will say that. Um, but it's been a lot more focusing on relationships with other companies. Um, a lot more like focusing on using LinkedIn for sales. Cause that was something that I've only, I've used LinkedIn ever since I, you know, saw y'all's, you know, talk like last year, uh, but it was mostly for my own purposes. And it was very different to like switch gears and be like, okay, like how do I reach out to prospects yeah. and build that connection without being annoying? Cause I know this is something you and I've talked about. It's just how annoying, you know, outreach can be. Yeah. So it's mo moving from using it in, personal branding, like content creation to actually using it as a sales tool. Yes. Yeah. So I want to dig in. I want to ask that question about making that shift, but what made you want to go from an AE to an S to a BDR? 
It was the opportunity. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, it was a good opportunity. What was that? Sorry, I went like that because she went from SMB to enterprise. That was so. That was me guessing that it was an enterprise. Like, yeah, yeah, it was exactly that. Um, you know, I hadn't been looking, but you know, my my boss reached out to me. Um, you know, wondering if I knew of anyone or any women in particular who were looking for um, a new role, and I was like actually because he sent the salary along with it and I was like actually that's more than what I'm making so we can talk it comes down to money so talk about that other piece right because we so often you know there are two pieces to to LinkedIn there is the sell 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 and don't send the you know invite pitch and then there's the hey I want to build my brand and sometimes I think people do struggle with how and when to do that and so I'd love to hear your experience on that because I think it's a really important topic. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, I, I try to post like one or two times a week and it's usually, you know, something professionally related, sometimes sales related. Um, I'm not really to the point to where I'm talking in any specifics about pricing, which is, you know, what we, we sell, we sell pricing optimization software. Um, so how I do a lot of my outreach is, um, you know, interacting on the post of people who are, you know, my prospects, um, you know, sending the messages. I, I, I still use the whole I'm new to the industry thing. And that's actually been a really great in because uh, a lot of the challenge that I've had is that I'm selling into an industry, you know, the pricing industry and manufacturing distribution that I don't have any experience in, you know, um, at all. And I'm selling to these people who have 30 years of experience in pricing. And so, you know, I'm used to kind of being in a position where I, you know, at past companies, I, I'm, you know, smart, smarter than them in some things. And I can be like, I have, you know, this new perspective on this new thing that I can offer you. And, you know, I've learned that I just can't go in the same way that I'm, I'm used to. I'm having to be more strategic and to come in and to not come in and be like, I know more than you, but to come in and be like, hey, I have like interesting things to offer. You know, I have interesting perspective, interesting product that might be interesting. Um, and to come in and be like, hey, I'm new to the industry. I'd love to talk to you and have like a non-sales conversation just to learn about how your, you know, pricing team operates. You know, that's one that I, I ended up having that conversation uh, last week with this guy who um, just laid it all out for me. And it was, it was so interesting to... To, I, I feel like I kind of got trained on how to talk to other people because that's kind of what I asked him. I was like, how should I be approaching these other pricing directors? And he gave me some just priceless advice on how I should be approaching this and what, what he as a pricing director actually cared about. That was like very interesting to me. So I definitely encourage people to have those conversations and to build your network and to talk to people in the field um, and in non-sales conversations too, just to learn. I'm learning not to speak till I come off mute, Scott. <laughs> months so of proud of you. <laughs> I'm dominating, Scott. You need to jump in here. <laughs> um, what are, are there things that this person gave you in terms of advice about how to talk to someone that you could genericize for other people to go, oh, I should ask the question that way, not pricing, right? Like I'm just trying to, again, I'm trying to give people tactical advice. Sure. So, um, 
Yeah, I guess there is a way to do it because one of the biggest things of advice I got is that I need to be figuring out where in the transformation process that these companies are in because he gave me like, I guess there's like a five different level process that like is a model that a lot of these guys work off of whenever they're trying to transform, you know, their, their company and, you know, figuring out like where they're at in that process will be able to tell me like where they're at and being able to purchase, you know, something like what we sell. Yeah. And that was something that just like, I had never really thought about that to ask them like where they're at in their own process of, you know, building up their, their pricing team. What are some of the um, learnings that you have from, from selling on LinkedIn specifically? Like what's, what's working to get somebody's attention right now and, and maybe what has failed miserably that you could have a laugh at and share with us? Um, for a while, someone did this to me and I thought it would be a great idea to try it. Um, so someone reached out to me and they were like, Hey, you know, I'm just trying to get to know people on my LinkedIn. Um, here's an interesting fact about me. You know, I would love to hear one about you too. And like me, like I'm, I'm quirky. I got like interesting facts for like days. You know, I had my first hamburger whenever I was 23 years old. And like, people are always like, are your parents vegan? I'm like, no, no, um, my, my parents are actually beef farmers. It's this whole thing, you know? Um, and so I started like sending, um, you know, connecting with people and sending that message and, and being like, hey, like, here's this interesting fact about me. I'd love to hear one about you. And that was like hit or miss, but that was something I did try. You know, it worked really well with, you know, people who were lower on the totem pole, but I definitely like cringe a little bit to think that I sent that message to people who are like VPs at these like enterprise companies. Um, but I did get to, cause then I could like get to know people and you know, it's, it's funny <laughs> that we're talking about this. Cause actually this morning I was reconnecting with one of the guys that I had talked to cause um, cause then he, you know, we'd go back and forth and I'd be like, Hey, you know, would you be willing to have a phone conversation about your business? I was actually looking to speak to someone there and you know, people at this point think I'm like, fun and entertaining, I guess, because they agreed to it. Um, so that was one of the things that was like a hit or a miss. Um, I actually did tell that to my friend recently who used it in a way that did work. So I think there are like applications for that. Um, but what has been working for me is, um, is just, you know, leveraging that I'm new to the industry and wanting to make connections and have conversations. I like this idea of the interesting factoid, Richard. Have you ever heard of that before? No, but I'm sitting here going, okay, I want to know, now I want to know, you know, four more from Joe Bath, and I want to hear what Scott's interesting factoids are to see if I actually know them, or, or maybe I could guess Scott's factoid and Scott could guess mine, so. I got some funny ones, like, because I started using it on people in our field who I, I would connect with, and I found out one guy had, um, and he's like a sales leader at some company in Austin, and he had, um, driven through a McDonald's on accident one time, like through like the actual building like with his car. Through the store, like yeah, like going through not like the drive -through. <laughs> the building. Not going through the drive-through. He drove straight through the building because he thought it was in reverse and it was in drive and he like floored it, you know. So I got to hear like a lot of because it made it a lot easier to have conversations with people whenever you figure out this weird thing about themselves, you know. Um like the guy I was talking to this morning has um like a 15th century map tattooed on his entire back and whenever he gets drunk and goes to the pool people are always like this is where i'm from so um 
Yeah, so you just, it's, it's a very interesting way to get to know people. I definitely yes. think it could be used, but I don't recommend sending it we to are, you. Uh, we're actually using this tactic, Richard, on, on Thursday night sales. Oh, are you? We have these little um, quizzes, this little like text message quiz that goes out, okay? And it has like little fact about Amy or a little fact about me and like multiple choice, like which one of these did Scott not do? One of them like, was like- Two truths and a lie. Yes, it's sort of like that. So you want to play the game, Richard? So it was like um, Scott uh, has run with the Bulls in Pamplona, Spain, uh, failed his driver exam the first time, and I don't remember what the other one was. But which one, Richard? Have I run with the Bulls or did I fail my driver's test the first time? Oh, those are both pretty believable based on a couple of things I know about you. <laughs> Hmm, this is a good one. I don't know. Let me think. It's too late. You, you, you lose. I think, I think it's, I, I actually think you um, ran with the Bulls. I did run with the Bulls. Yeah. I knew you played soccer in Europe, and I'm like, he had to have done that while he was over there. I also failed my driver's test the first time. Oh, so you I mean, did. I did too. So oh, there was another one that, you know, like wasn't true. But right. this, this is a, an application of Joe Betts' LinkedIn strategy here. Well, and how my friend used it uh, was that she was trying to reach out to, you know, some IT professionals in Austin who were a little bit younger. And so she, like, she knew that, like, most IT people are nerds or whatever. And so she used a fact that was, like, about how, like, she started playing video games when she was young, you know, or something like that. Something like that. But it was something that, like, was interesting to them to where it did spark a conversation with a few people. That's cool. We've got to start wrapping up the show here, but um, we try to end with an offer and try to say, how can we be helpful to you? Is there anything that we can do to help you or any questions that we can answer for you? Um, so that's where we kind of want to wrap up. Sure. Yeah, we have a couple of Sassy Women in Sales events coming up. We actually have one this Wednesday. I don't know when y'all post these, but uh, it'll be Wednesday. You want to, when, when do y'all post them? By the Comes way? Out, it'll come out Monday. Okay, out. well, never mind then. <laughs> never mind then. Uh, the next, go ahead. Where can they go to sign up for them? Where can they go to? Connect? We have we have a beautiful website that I have made. Um, it's sassywomen.com. So sassy with you know s a a s s y women.com. And we have an exciting event coming up that will be announced by the time everyone hears this. Uh, it's going to be November 18th, and that's going to be our Black and Female Sales Success Stories event. Um, would love to you know to have more people attend, um, as well as, you know, future events that we have, and they can stay up to date with that um, by connecting with me or through just following our pages and our website. Cool. Well, I think you're building something really neat there and filling a void in the, uh, in the market and wish you all the, all the best success with that, as well as at your uh, current BDR role. So Thank thanks you. for uh, spending some time with us and hopefully I see you again sometime soon on, on Thursday night. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Joe Beth. Talk to you soon.